Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we're in a series called Reset, looking at the changes that we want to see in 2023. And in week one online, we challenge you to ask the question, what does God think is possible for my new year? And then next week when we were back here in person, uh, we talked about really the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to change. If we want to see any real change in our lives, we've got to make sure that we make him part of the process. And then last week we talked about how really the word of God is our GPS. It's the way we navigate. It's what gives us direction as we are pursuing change. And this week, the question that we want to ask is this, what is the most important change I can make this year? What's the most important change I can make? Because let's be real, trying to change, it's kind of hard. And there seems to be like this endless list of things that we could change or things that we could work on. I mean, there's so many things that seem to be demanding our attention and our time, and, and maybe we like some of them, and maybe we hate some of the other ones, but they all just seem to be so important and so urgent. Maybe this year you wanted to work on eating better or working out more or drinking less coffee and more water. That probably should be one of mine. Um, maybe you wanted to save more and spend less. You wanted to go on more vacations, or maybe you wanted to uh, spend less time working while at home, or conversely, less time relaxing while you're at work, or maybe you wanted to work on some hobbies, or get a promotion, or be a better parent, or spouse, or friend, or get better grades, and the list could just go on and on and on. feels like there's an endless list of things that we could change, that we could work on, all these important things, but there's like only so much time in the day. Like, how am I supposed to fit all these supposedly important things into my schedule? Maybe as you look at the new year and you've been talk and we've been talking about pursuing change in this new year, that kind of feels a little bit overwhelming. Maybe that feels like it's just a little bit beyond reach and you kind of feel like you're just in survival mode. You look at around at all the things that could be worked on, that could be changed, and if you're honest, you, you kind of want to just give up before you even start. And so today, what I want to do is I want to help. I want to help relieve you from the, the stress, the anxiety of having to change everything, and I want to clear away some clutter. And, and here's how we're going to do that. We're going to ask this question. If you could only change one thing this year, what would it be? If you could only change one thing, not five things, but if you could only be successful in changing one thing this year, what might that be? B. With so many things that we could take that could take up our time, we need to focus on what is most important. And, and here's what we know: what's most important in our heart is what we're going to end up spending most of our attention and our time and our mental energy on. Right? This is how Jesus said it in Luke chapter 12: "For where your treasure is, there your heart will be, also." Jesus is saying, what consumes you, what you value, that's what you're gonna, uh, is going to become large in your life, and that's what you're going to find yourself spending a lot of time and energy on. And so if we treasure possessions and stuff, our heart's going to be constantly driven to chase after more stuff and to protect the, those possessions that we do have. If we treasure security, our heart's going to be pulled towards needing more money or more safety in order to feel secure. If we treasure the opinions of other people, our heart's going to be perpetually pulled to, to lead a life centered around getting the praise of others and avoiding the criticism of others. If we, are, if we treasure our self-image, we're going to constantly be consumed by worrying about how we look and by our presence on social media. 
If we treasure the comfort of our life, we're going to wander down passivity, laziness, rather than looking after the things that we ultimately want. And while none of those things are wrong in and of themselves, they're going to lead us in a direction we don't want if they become what we treasure most. If they become what is most valuable to us, they're going to lead us to a life that we don't ultimately want. But what? What if we treasured God? What if we treasured what God treasures most? What if what God values most is what became most valuable to us? I think there'd be a couple things. One is that our hearts would be closer to God's heart. Our our life would be more about what God says it should be. And we'd find ourselves with more joy and more contentment and fewer regrets. But I think secondly, we'd live with great clarity around priorities. We'd know what we need to do in a situation because we know what God values in a situation. We would know what we need to change because we know what God would have us change. I think we'd stop trading what we want most for what we want in the moment. Our our priorities would help us uh, see through the clutter of what is right in front of us and help us live for that which matters most in life. And here's the amazing news this morning. Jesus made it really, really clear what our priority should be. I think we've sometimes managed to somehow make it confusing in church, but Jesus actually made it incredibly clear. He said there's only really two things that we need to make our lives about, only two things that are incredibly, incredibly important to God. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one back at the Welcome Center. We had to restock those this week. And that, let me tell you, that was a joy to my heart to have to restock those. It wasn't like, oh man, people are taking our Bibles. It was like, yes, people are taking our Bibles. That was a joy. So if you need one, uh, we'd be happy to give you one. But here in Matthew chapter 22, we find some uh, religious leaders trying to trip Jesus up with a question. You see, Jesus was uh, uh, he was threatening their authority, and they didn't like that. And so they were trying to get him to say something against all the extra rules and laws that they had made up that they thought were important for following God. And so let's start in verse 34 of chapter 22. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, Jesus, what is most important for us to do with our lives? What's the one thing that we should be focusing on? What should our priority be every single day? Here's how Jesus answers in verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And so Jesus' number one priority for our lives, the one thing that we should focus on is that we should love God. He doesn't say that we should serve God, follow God, obey God, although those things are all important, right? Underlying all of them is that we should love God. And this command can almost seem too too, too simple, especially if you grew up around religion and you're used to being given this just laundry list of things that you are supposed to do. Like I know growing up in church, I felt like Jesus would have answered this question that uh, I need to obey God, that I need to do all these things in order to follow him. I feel like that would have been the greatest commandment, but Jesus doesn't say our top priority should be to go to church, to read the Bible, to serve, to give, to share the gospel, although all those things are important and he does tell us to do them. Underlying all of them, should be our our greatest priority, which is to love God. And I think in this, 
we see the heart of God. We see what God values most. He doesn't value most that we check some religious boxes. He doesn't value most that we do certain things. God is not a God who's made happy by us uh, grumpily and begrudgingly following a list of rules. He's not a God who's happy to find people in sin and squash them there. He's not a God who's interested in some fancy religious performance. He's a God who wants us to love him. He's a God who wants our heart before any of those other things. He wants us to be a people who love him. But loving him, it does require some things of us. Jesus goes on to to qualify what that love looks like. He says to love God with all of our heart. That means our, our emotions, our affections, our desires. It means that we would treasure God most and with all of us. And that really has some great implications because that means we can't like half-heartedly follow God. We can't half-heartedly love God. We can't hold back some emotions and some bitterness in our heart from God. We can't be angry or bitter at God for a situation in our life that he allowed that we didn't like very much. Next, he says to love God with all of our soul. That's the inner part of our being, trusting him for eternity, trusting him to, to bring our souls into eternal rest with him. And next he says, with all of our mind, with our thoughts, with our desires, with our fears, with our worries, they should all be wholly surrendered over to God. That means when we go to him in prayer and we kind of release the mess in our minds to him, we don't, when we're done, try and pick that back up and try and figure it out ourselves again. We leave it in his hands. It means we stop the negative thinking, the negative thought patterns that lead us down an unhelpful path and instead focus on the truth of what God says to us in his word. We love him with all of our mind. And so Jesus says this love really is an all-consuming, a life-altering, a paradigm-shifting kind of love, one that changes everything from how we spend our, our free time and our money to how we treat people who have wronged us. See, love like this means there is nothing in our life that we hold back from God. There's no area of our life that he can't speak to, There's no area of our life that when he puts a finger on, we're like, no, 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 that's too far, that's too much, that's mine. There's nothing in our lives that we hold back from God. So that's the number one priority of our life, that we would love God. But but Jesus actually answers, he kind of gives us a bonus. Guy asked for what's the most important commandment. Um, He actually gives us two. He gives us a second thing that should be our priority. Verse 39. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And so secondly, Jesus is saying that we should love others. And and again, this is pretty simple, but that doesn't necessarily make it easy, right? And he again qualifies what that love would look like, that we would love others as we love others ourselves. And, and I might, know you, might not know you very well this morning, but one thing I do know about you is that you love yourself pretty well because you're a human being and we all do that, like, right? Like when I'm hungry, I don't sit around indifferent to that need. I don't just be like, huh, that's interesting. I'm hungry. What do I do? I go and solve that problem, right? Those of you who know me are chuckling because you know that happens about 20 times a day, right? But we, we love to meet our own needs. We love ourselves pretty well. And Jesus is saying that same kind of affection, that same kind of attention that we give to ourselves That's the kind of love that we should have for others. And I know this might seem oversimplified, but Jesus really thought that less was more. 
He gave us two things to focus on because he knew that if God truly had all of us, all of our heart and our mind and our soul, and if we truly loved others like we love ourselves, then we would have everything that we need to live a life that's honoring to God, that's worthy of the gospel. He says that all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. In other words, all of the things that the Old Testament told the Jewish people to do, all 613 laws that the Jews were commanded to follow are all summed up in these two things. They were an application of or a manifestation of loving God and loving others. It all hangs on these two things. But I think if we're honest as as humans, we kind of like to add to that list or maybe to overdefine that list or, or say exactly what it looks like to follow God, to love God. I think loving God and, and others can feel kind of maybe vague, maybe kind of abstract. And so we want to say that loving God looks exactly like this so that we can feel better about ourselves when we do those things and check off that box. And how we've added to or overdefined Jesus' list, I think, has looked different over the years. In, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees had added all kinds of rituals and practices that they had to follow in order to be a good Jew. And I, I know growing up in the church in the 90s and the early 2000s, it, it felt for me like loving God meant I had to dress a certain way that I didn't really want to dress. It meant I had to listen to music that I didn't really want to listen to. It meant I had to go to church like 15 times a week, it felt like. And, and that list could just go on and on, the things that it felt like I had to do if I loved God. Today, it might be that we have to get in our Bible a certain amount or use a certain kind of of devotional, like all those other ones are, are not deep enough. This is the kind of one you have to use. Or, or maybe it's we need to be involved in a certain ministry that we're, that we're super passionate about. Like if you're not involved in this ministry, clearly you don't love God because this is close to the heart of God. Maybe it could be uh, caring about a certain political cause or a certain uh, political party. Like if, you don't, if you're not for this, then how can you be somebody who loves God? I don't know what it might be for you, but I think we all have this tendency to add to or to further define what it looks like to follow God, to love him. Recently, I realized that in an area where I had uh, overdefined Jesus' command to love God and, and to love others was, was journaling as I read my Bible. I uh, had some people in my life who I really respected and I really looked up to, and they really emphasized the importance of when you read your Bible, uh, journaling out your thoughts beforehand so you could get your mind in a place where you were, you were ready to think about how God's word applied to your life. And so I thought to myself, if I love God, I've got to journal every single day. And so being a disciplined person, I did that. I did that for years. And it wasn't until recently that it hit me that this wasn't really helping me love God. It wasn't really helping me love others. It wasn't really helping me apply God's word to my life. I'm somebody who kind of likes to process out loud um, in conversations with other people. And so journaling for me every single day, it just wasn't helping me. But I had defined loving God as journaling. And so I had to do it every single day. It wasn't until a few months ago that it hit me. Jesus never told me that I had to journal. Jesus told me I need to love others. I need to love him. I need to apply his word to my life. And if journaling helped me do that, amazing. Let's go for it. For me, it wasn't. Um, and so for me, I, I realized that that's a practice that I had kind of added to what Jesus said was most important. I had defined uh, loving God as journaling as I read my Bible. And I've, I've come to realize that he didn't say I had to do that. So that's one area for me, but I think all of us have areas where we can overdefine or add to Jesus' 
list. And I think this, ten- this tendency is so dangerous for, for us because not only can we uh, begin to hold ourselves to a standard that Jesus didn't necessarily call us to, but I think we can start to hold others to that standard. And we judge them when they don't do that thing that we think is so important, or they don't do it as much as we do, and then we declare that, you know what, I must love God more than they do. If we want to truly be people who value what God values, we must not add or overdefine his list of what is most important. That doesn't mean we throw out all those other things. Jesus, they're important. Many of them is what he called us to do. But underlying all of them should be a love for God. I think we can sometimes miss that. I mean, even the Pharisees in Jesus' day, right? They checked all of those religious boxes. But what did Jesus say? He said their heart was far from him. See, God's greatest treasure is people. That's what God values most. Not checking religious boxes, not doing certain things, not playing church games, not pretending like we have it all together and feeling good about ourselves, but the heart and soul, souls of people. That is what God values most. And he longs for us to be a people who love him, who are free to love him and to love others around us like he does. In fact, he loves people so deeply that he'll go to extreme lengths in order to rescue them. Look at how Jesus talks about this in in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and here again, Jesus is responding to some religious leaders who were this time annoyed that he was uh, spending time with sinners, starting in verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the other 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. In this story, the, the one sheep represents people who have wandered away from God, who are far from God. And the 99 represents those who are already have a saving relationship with him. And Jesus' point in this story is that God is a God who goes after the one. He leaves the 99 to pursue that one who's lost in the wilderness. And I think if we're honest sometimes, this story can almost seem like a little bit irresponsible to us, right? Like, like what about the 99 who were where they were supposed to be and who were doing what they were supposed to be doing? What about the other 99 But Jesus' point is that God is so for the one that he is willing to go after them. That he leaves the 99, he still loves them, but they are safe. They're okay, they're taken care of, they don't need a savior, but that one who's lost out in the wilderness, he needs to be rescued. And our God is a God who leaves the 91 to pursue that one. That is God's heart, that is the God that we worship. I think what Jesus is saying to us Matthew chapter 22 is that we should love others with that same kind of love. One that loves the 99, one that loves the one and is willing to to leave the safety of the 99 and go after that one. I think Jesus is calling us to love like him. To love people enough to, to go after people who are far away from God. The kind of love that's willing to take some risks in order to rescue those who are far from God, the kind of love that's willing to not make the comfort and the concerns of the 99 who are already safe, who are already taken care of, to not make those concerns so important that we forget that there are so many people out there who need rescue. It means loving people like us, people 
very much not like us. It means people, loving people that we agree with, loving people that we disagree with very strongly. It means loving people who make love feel rather easy and also loving those who make love feel impossible. Look at how Jesus ends his story in verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You see, all of heaven is jumping up and down with excitement when someone turns to God. All of heaven is throwing a party when someone repents. And that's why we celebrate these carnations every single week, because we believe heaven is celebrating and we should be too. We don't want to miss out on that party. If we would pursue what God pursues, if we would value what God values, we just might get to be a part of seeing some lost sheep found. God might use us to help some lost people come home. And, what, and when that happens, all of heaven is throwing a party. And what greater ambition could we live our lives for? What could be more important than that? You ask people who are at the end of their life what they wish they had done differently, you'll almost always hear that they had wished they had spent more time on the things that mattered most. They don't, they don't wish they'd spent more time at the office, or more time golfing. They wish they'd spent more time with those that they loved. And this is true, maybe even especially true, of those who had everything the world could want in life, money and power and fame and influence and luxury. They'll say, I wish I'd spent more time with those that I loved. They'll wish they hadn't traded what they wanted most for what they wanted in the moment. I think all of us want to do something with our lives that's going to outlive us, that's going to outlast us. I know I want to be part of doing something with my life that matters. I don't want to waste it. I think there's that same tendency in all of us. And I think really that might be the reason that God makes it so simple and so clear for us. Because in the end, this is all that we have. See, God and other people, They're the only eternal things that you know. Everything else in our lives, one day, it's going to fail, it's going to fade, it's going to be finished, it's going to pass away. Loving God and loving others is not only the most important thing that we can do. It's the only eternal thing we can do. It's the only thing we can do on this earth that's going to outlive us, that's going to outlast us. If you want to be part of doing something that's going to last for generations and thousands of years to come, Love God and love others. Our jobs, our houses, our education, our cars and churches and clothes and technologies and sports and money and and all the other things that can so consume our energy and our time and our focus and our attention. One day it's all going to fade away. But people, they last forever. And so what would it look like for you to live with God's priorities at heart? What would it mean for you to live for things that last? Well, I've got uh, two questions that I think will help us bring this home today. First, what needs to be removed so that I can love God and love others better? What's in my life right now that's in the way of loving God with all of me or loving others with all of me? What might be hindering me from that? And this could be, maybe it's a sin issue, but I think beyond that, there's all kinds of things in our could be all kinds of things in our lives that aren't necessarily sin, but they're just holding us back. Maybe our, our schedule is so full that we don't even have time to spend it with God. We don't even have time to spend with those that we love. 
Maybe it's our kids' sports schedule or our hobbies that we think we need to pursue or keeping up with the latest show or whatever it might be. It's so easy to get our life so full of stuff. We don't even have time to breathe. Maybe we'd like to be generous people, but our spending habits keep us from having any money to give to others. Maybe it's patterns of anger or bitterness or resentment that just make it hard to have good relationships with other people. Maybe for some of us here today, we've so filled our lives with churchy things and spending time with Christians that we don't even have time to, to go out and spend with those who need to hear the good news of Jesus. But removing something from our life isn't, isn't really enough. The Bible would tell us, and actually psychology would add, that if you want to remove something from your life, you can't just remove it, you actually have to put something in its place. You don't know how to live with a vacuum in your mind and in your life. Like if I told you right now not to think about purple elephants, what are you thinking about? Purple elephants. Because your mind doesn't know how to have a vacuum. It's got to be filled with something. So secondly, what do I need to add so I can love God and love others better? What's something I can build into my life so I can value what God values? Maybe it's getting into God's word like we talked about last week. Maybe it's getting involved in a small group where people can actually push us to love God better. Maybe we need to start serving. Maybe we need to reach out to somebody who's, who's struggling. Maybe we need to pray for people and, and then encourage them by letting them know that we are praying for them. Maybe we need to find some practical ways to go after some lost sheep like getting involved in our neighborhood or engaging with our coworkers in conversation beyond just small talk or inviting our family to church. This could go on, but what do we need to add to our life in order to love God and others better? And my encouragement to you would not try to pick 10 things you need to add and 10 things to remove. That's, that's probably just too much to focus on. Maybe just one each that you want to focus on and, and go after that and see how God blesses you as you pursue what matters most to him. So back to our opening question. You can only change one thing this year. What would it be? You can only change one thing. And I think the answer that God would give us from his word is that uh, giving God full access to our heart, to our soul, to our mind, and loving, God, loving others as ourselves would be how God would want us to live this year. That would be our highest aim, that we would be a people who love God, which is most often and most clearly seen, I think, in our love for others, that we'd be a people whose heart uh, follows the heart of God and is willing to go after that one who's lost in the wilderness. We'd be a church that loved people who have wandered away because we remember what it was like when we were wandering away. Remember how dark it was, how lonely it felt. And we know the joy that we have found in Jesus and we want other people to experience that. In church, we say this not because we're far off, not because we're missing the mark, but because we're having incarnations up here all the time and we want to keep seeing that happen. See, it doesn't take long for us to get off course. Reality is that the greatest threat to future success is often current success. It's really easy to think, you know what, maybe we're doing okay and to just kind of relax a little bit and stop pursuing the mission and, and maybe all of a sudden we start making our priorities about keeping us comfortable, us who are here, and we forget that there's thousands of ones out there who have wandered away and who need to be brought back. And so as we step into 2023, we want to make sure that we continue to pursue what God says is most valuable. And I would bet that if we would really do these things, that if we would love God and love others with everything in us, 
Every other problem that we have, every other resolution that we've had would probably begin to find its way to a solution. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity that it gives us. We thank you that you are a God who loves people, that you were willing to pursue us when we were far away, when we had wandered away and we were out on our own. You loved us enough to come after us. You didn't wait until we turned around. You didn't wait until we cleaned up our acts because we never would have. You pursued us even there. Father, I pray that we would be a church that follow after your heart, that we would love you with everything inside of us, that there'd be no part of our life that we hold back, there'd be no part of our, our heart or our soul that we hold back saying, that's, that's too much, God, but that we would be a people who give you all of us and that we would love other people as we love ourselves. We would be willing to give of ourselves, give until it hurts, because we love others that much, and we know that there are so many who need to be rescued. Father, we thank you so much for how you are using this church. We ask that you would continue to do that. We want to be a part of what you're doing. We want to be a part of something that lasts. Father, thank you so much for Jesus and for the sacrifice he has made so that we could have life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.